Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And CJ. CJ, are you all right there? It looks like you might have something in your eyes. Yeah, I'm just so... I feel so emotional and overwhelmed and kind of confused, because just a few minutes ago, I felt like I was walking through the woods, and then I I came upon... upon this like lamppost looked mm-hmm. like it could have been a residential london and i just kept walking and then suddenly i was in a closet and then here you guys were and now i, I feel overwhelmed like i should be here somehow through some magical means i was brought here to be with you guys tonight well we have been awaiting you here in this mystical place and that all sounds pretty normal for portland oregon right yeah yeah that's fair D- depending on how many microbrewery drinks you've had <laughs> I think you mean beers. <laughs> Microbrewery drinks. Yeah, I, I know my alcohols. I, I know all the alcohols that we have here in Portland. <laughs> I mean, before the woods, who knows what was happening. So anyway, mm-hmm. hey, guys. Hey, thanks for coming here, CJ. Yeah, thanks Dom, for having me. Dom is away. We needed someone, and you're our go-to. I thought I'd pass by somebody going the opposite direction. <laughs> Yes, Tom has left the wardrobe and is back in the real world. Yeah. Might be, might have given too much into frivolities and, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, makeup to be able makeup. to return. Yeah, Nylon makeup. <laughs> like I, somebody we know. I, we, were just, we were just discussing... Queen Susan. Right, we were just <laughs> discussing Susan and her position in canon before we really started the recording. I suppose we should probably mention that our fanfic today is called Something in the Eyes. It is a 2004 Labyrinth and Narnia crossover by an author named Clever Lass. I need to apologize to begin with because I've been pretty good about contacting the authors before we do the episodes. I did not contact, what's his name, the author of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Tom Stopper. Yeah, for next week's episode. Uh, but for the most part, I have been contacting most people. I also did not contact Clever Lass. It's been a busy few weeks. And so we're doing this without uh, any foreknowledge or, you know, comment or permission. Sorry, Clever Lass. Sorry, Tom Stoppard. Yeah, Tom Stoppard, too. Is Tom Stoppard dead? That's what I was just trying to look <laughs> up. Has he passed on to Narnia? Perhaps. We will soon find out. Um, I believe he is still alive. Yeah, but he probably really wants to know that someone's talking about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead yeah, somewhere in the world. I know, because it's so, been so long lost. That's going to be our next week episode for our one-year anniversary, by the way, as I just mentioned. Uh, but anyway, back to today. This fanfic is a recommendation um, from someone named Inner Voice on the RPG.net forums, one of the places I looked for for suggestions for short fanfics. I'd like to come back to that recommendation, but before that, The Labyrinth, the Jim Henson and various other people's movie, and or The Chronicles of Narnia, the Christian allegory by C.S. Lewis. What kind of backgrounds or connections do we have with those? Well, I grew up reading The Chronicles of Narnia uh, and have forgotten a lot about them in the intervening years, Uh, but I read all of them. And uh, I've watched The Labyrinth more times than I can count, probably. It's just disgusting yeah. <laughs> how many times I've seen it. I love that movie. <laughs> so 
I'd say I'm a casual fan of both. I mean, no, I, I can't even call myself a Narnia fan because I've definitely read two of the books. And I can't remember whether I read any of the others as a kid. Definitely read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe more than once. And The Magician's Nephew. And I don't know about the others. I feel like I probably did. But I can't quite pinpoint a lot of the You would probably remember, like, Prince Caspian. I I feel like that was a pretty memorable... There's a boat. Yes. There is indeed a boat. boat. And there's a little rat that Uh has a sword. And he's very brave. And a dragon. I don't know if there's a dragon. Maybe. Doesn't someone turn into a dragon? Is that Prince Caspian? Oh, yeah. I think you're right. You know, my memory fades. Man, I'm the worst fan ever. (laughs) I read them. I had the whole box set when I was young. And, of course, like, started with The Magician's Nephew, which they stopped including in the box sets a little bit after that. It was really strange. Well, because it doesn't concern the main protagonists of the other it like, doesn't, oh, but it's but, really interesting. I know, it's really good, and, and the, it's a great first book. It's just, I don't know why people don't consider it to quite be a part of the Chronicles. Anyway, I always started with that one, but other people I knew had box sets that started with Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, of course, when they made the movies, yeah. they did Lion, Well, I felt there was continuity so. with the villain. I thought the yeah. villain in The Magician's Nephew was the same in... Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, yeah, so. but you don't read them in that order. The point of The Magician's Nephew is that it provides context for like what's supposed right. to be mysterious when you read, you mm. know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, so I, opinions true. here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I've got opinions. You don't start with <laughs> The Magician's Nephew. It's a it's prequel. numbered it's one not, in the no. box set that I have. But it has the number one on it. But they're wrong. I did yeah. not have someone to guide me as a small <laughs> child, so <laughs> my apologies to everyone. I think that's probably true, because I, I, wasn't The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe written first? Absolutely it was. was. Yeah. yeah, so that that's kind of the issue, I guess, with having the box set where that's number one. And I, I guess I understand the choice to exclude it. Anyway, I'm kind of in the same boat with CJ as I love those books, read them multiple times in that misordered box set. But it's been a long time, so my memory fades as to some of the details. Yeah. Like, some of the stories stick out in my head, but I can't tell you which book it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, the prince locked underground, like by this witch who has him hypnotized. And I don't remember what book that was. That might be mm-hmm. Magician's... Uh-huh. No, oh, no, 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 no. That's not that one. It's, it's no, later. No, it's like closer to Prince Caspian. One. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So if it's, suffice it to say, we're speaking with authority as usual. Yeah. And <laughs> thoughts on Labyrinth, Tori? Oh, um, I really liked the movie as a kid, but it always kind of was like in a competition with some of the other films around the time such as Never Ending Story and The Dark Crystal and I never liked it as much as either of those. It's like being because kind of having that young mind I was like which movie was that? Oh yeah that one. Labyrinth was always one of the ones where I was like this is fun but like it doesn't hold up to some of the the other movies that I really like. So it goes it kind of went on and off and how much I was a fan of Labyrinth, but I have seen it many, many times, and I I still do like it quite a bit. The only thing I don't like is kind of the same problem I have with this fanfic, is the weird romance implications between the thousand-year-old Goblin King and the 15-year-old girl. Uh, See, my problem with Labyrinth is Chili Down. (laughs) What? (laughs) The worst song in the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> mm-hmm. What with the creatures swapping their heads around? Yes, yeah. yes. Actually, that, that part where they swap their heads around was always kind of haunting to me as a kid. Mm. It's definitely a creepy movie. I really liked it, actually. But, yeah, it's a little creepy, too. All right. Uh, so, going back to this fanfic 
And the fact that it was recommended, it was recommended to me by someone poking around on the internet. I found it recommended on another list, you know, just in passing. It's like, oh, you know, list of recommended labyrinth fanfics, like this is on there. Or, you know, list of, oh, here's some suggestions for good short stuff to read. You know, this was on there. And I found out doing research that this fanfic was also chosen as a subject by a YouTube fanfic reviewer called The Fanfiction Critic. Not to be confused with The Fanfic Critic, who is a different YouTube fanfiction reviewer. Oh, dear. You know, it's just like our podcast and our rival podcast, Retro Fanfiction Retrospective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's so much competition in this field of reviewing classic fanfiction. Well, there was competition in the field of talking about bad fan fiction on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the fan fiction critic was one of those people. They have since taken down all their videos. It's like a, you know, former YouTuber thing. Hmm. But I found it very curious that I would see a fanfic that has been both derided as, you know, bad enough specifically to complain about and praised as good enough specifically to recommend. And hmm. having read it, I'm kind of that's kind of the angle I was coming at from reading it. Um I can see both why people would recommend it, and I think we'll probably have some things to complain about. I, I do have, I have, I am of two minds on mm-hmm. this one as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, ready to yeah. jump in? Let's do it. Okay. It's fan fiction. It's not that long. It starts off, we have a grown up Susan Pevensey. Pevensey? Pevensey. I Pevensey. like Pevensey. Pevensey. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sounds British. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um,. <laughs> She's working in some kind of, what is it, like journalism job? Yeah, publishing of some uh, kind. Publishing of some kind, right. And publishing. As an adult, we learn later, it doesn't, I don't remember it being specified early on, but she's supposed to be like early 40s, right? Right. And we have um, a grown Sarah, whatever her last name is, from Labyrinth. Right. Coming in over from America, because, you know, they're in Britain there as a grown woman and also going into this job. And she's kind of like an up-and-comer, right? Mm-hmm. A young up-and-comer. She's younger than Susan. She's supposed to be, mm-hmm. like, around 30, like, edging close to 30, right? Yeah. Because she was 15 during the events of the labyrinth, and it's been about 13 to 15 years because there's some continuity errors in here. They say 13, and they say 15 later in the fanfic. Speaking of continuity errors. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Look, I, I'm a continuity nerd. Like, that's kind of where I come at for a lot of fanfiction. But Susan Pevensey was definitely born around 1928. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. explicitly, canonically, you can't really avoid it. She should be an old woman yeah. in this. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's especially bizarre because it's like, Time moves different in Narnia, but it's, like, time slower there. So, like, that... Well, well they grow to adults in Narnia, and then they come back. And then back they and come back, again. and they're kids again. But it's the same year, so it's, like... I don't know, I think it's extra trippy that they chose to make this so weird with the time continuity. Unless she had some magic Narnia dust still sprinkled on her, I don't think she would have aged any differently I think <laughs> coming Im- home, right? So. I think implicitly you're just supposed to have assumed that in the context of this fanfic, the Chronicles of Narnia took place more recently, because this is definitely not set in, like... Sarah was definitely not moved backwards in time. It's definitely, like modern day-ish, right? right. Susan's definitely moved forward in time in that sense. But it's not made a point of or, you know, it's not something that interests the author to work out these details. Yeah. Because it's not the point of the fan. It's really not. It's not. But it's also strange that there is such a point that Susan is older than Sarah and 
and very early on jealous of her for being successful and younger and apparently prettier and blah, 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 because she's a very stereotypical, uh, what do I want to say, misogynistic stereotype in, of a woman in this. Well, both women are, but anyway. What we were talking about before recording is that that's kind of in line with canon, right? Yeah. Because of the mm-hmm. reasons that Susan was excluded and did not get to die in a train crash like all of her lucky ass siblings. Seriously, oh, yeah. they go straight to lion heaven, and what does <laughs> she get to do? Do you do you still have that quote? Uh, let me pull them up. Because I was I had forgotten that she had not passed away with her siblings, and right. was just left to I don't know. Because grow old alone with no family members. <laughs> Having read Neil Gaiman's Narnia fanfic, The Problem of Susan, I had had not forgotten that and could never forget it. But let's see. You know, there's a few quotes about her in the text of The Last Battle that um, someone says, she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. And she's like a teenage girl, right? She's a teenage... She's like a late teenage girl, something like that. Yeah, so... Someone else says... So she's an average teenage girl. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else says she wasted all her school time wanting to be the age she is now, and she'll waste all the rest of her life trying to stay that age. Women, right? I know. I know. How dare she enjoy life and not think about the afterlife all the time? (laughs) She's not being pious. Her vanity is impeding her path to the lion gates. How dare she give in to the heavy, heavy societal pressure for her to stay... You know, beautiful for as long as possible to have social right. Work. Yeah, because that's totally like her choice and her fault. You Where's know? our harlot stamp? Can we find that <laughs> stamper? Move on. Move on. <laughs> now it's a bit of an aside, but in looking at quotes, you know, Lewis has several quotes around it. Like, yeah, yeah, the books don't say what happened to her. Maybe she found Aslan in her own way. You know, whatever. He elaborated on this thought in a night. This is from Wikipedia. You know, an authoritative source. C.S. Lewis further elaborated on Susan's fate in a 19th of February 1960 letter to Pauline Bannister, apparently just a fan, who wrote to Lewis upset that Susan was excluded from her brothers and sister from Aslan's country. He stated, I could not write that story myself. Not that I have no hope of Susan's ever getting to Aslan's country, but because I have a feeling that the story of her journey would be a longer and more like a grown-up novel than I wanted to write. But I may be mistaken. Why not try it yourself? So there you go. Hey-o. Yes, ah, Lewis being like, write your fanfic story about Susan getting into Lion Heaven. And so here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what this author did. Mm-hmm. This is a what-if scenario. Yeah. You know, if you have explicit permission from the author to write something, it actually excludes it from being in my working definition of fan fiction. However, if it's an open invitation to a general fan base, does that also apply? It does. I do not uh, count anything in the Cthulhu mythos as fan fiction, because Lovecraft was just like, oh, hey, sure. everybody, write. It's, it's a shared universe, right? Hmm. But it's still labyrinth fan fiction, so we can still talk about it. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. That's legal. Yeah. <laughs> as far as we know, Jim Henson and the creators of Labyrinth were not like, write how you think that Sarah got together with the Goblin King. And under a strict <laughs> reading, I suppose C.S. Lewis only gave Pauline Bannister explicit permission. <laughs> we're in on a technicality, nonetheless. So mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> the point is, people have been interested in this issue, the problem of Susan, as you know, people call it now after the game and story. People have been interested in it for a while, and this author was interested in it, in it as well, from a direction that I am not super interested in. But we'll get to that, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm very interested in this whole crossover with Susan and Sarah, but what actually happens as events in this are... Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that, though, because I feel like that's a thing to praise. Because when I saw, you know, this as a suggestion, and Labyrinth-Narnia crossover, I was like, sold, it's going on the docket, we're talking about that. Right? Honestly, and I'd love to go over the plot first Mm. before I go into it, but the real benefit of reading this fanfic for me was writing my own like better fanfic in my head about how this could have gone down and like crossing over the two worlds. Yeah. Well, this maybe not necessarily better, but better for me. So wanting to compare and contrast and consolidate these like different lost children stories in fiction is something that I've seen before, but I was checking the dates and like Alan Moore and his artist, uh, what's her name? I forget. Lost girls. It technically started coming out in 1991 and 1992, but it only, like, came out and people paid attention to it in 2006. And that's, you know, Alice, uh, Dorothy, Wendy mm-hmm. from, from Peter and Wendy. From, I mean, from Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, and then, more recently, you've got Every Heart a Doorway by um, Seanan McGuire, mm-hmm. who is a well-known fanfic author, but also a published non-fanfic author. And she wrote a story about a like boarding school for kids who have returned from magical lands and like the trauma of how they're all dealing with the loss of like these other worlds or from the terrible experiences in those worlds depending you know who opened that school that's nice (laughs) Uh, i think some returnee right yeah (laughs) and like that's also really cool in the world building like you really want to explore those ideas Mm -hmm. and this is chronologically the earliest thing i've seen it's got to be earlier but right it it's like they were ahead of the curve in terms of, I feel like, seeing that potential and wanting to cross over these lost children's stories. Yeah. In fiction. And in that way, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I do agree kind of with what CJ was saying, though, that it's a great platform and it's a great idea. It's just, yeah, we could Well, let's go more imagine. into the story. Yeah. The title, Something in the Eyes, comes from uh, something someone said to Susan once, which is that, like, you can tell someone who's been to Narnia because there's something about him in the eyes. Yeah, I think her brother said that at some point. And that might actually be canon, right? I think so. Yeah. But what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) And so Susan and Sarah recognize that look in each other, that they have been too, well, you know, they need to kind of talk about it to figure out the exact details. But they've been away from Earth. And Susan also, even now, however many years later, is like doodling Aslan in like the notebooks of in the margins of her notebooks or, you know, meeting minutes or whatever she's doing. And like Susan sees that and is like, I am a nice lion. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a pretty lion. <laughs> yeah. And apparently she does the same thing with an owl, right? Yeah. And this is kind of after there's been a bit of tension between them because apparently when Sarah got hired, Susan got demoted to her assistant, even though she was trying to get the same position. She was trying to get a promotion to the position Sarah ends up getting and somehow ends up getting demoted to being Sarah's assistant. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway. It doesn't go deep into it. But I was kind of wondering about that, too. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe they're trying to stick with the whole Susan's a loser thing that was set up. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so she was really bitter until... Sorry, CJ, what you saying? Yeah, no, that's all right. Just that the American comes in as this climber and is like, I'm I'm here now and I'm young and I have all these great ideas. I'm going to take your position because you're too British to stand up for yourself or something. <laughs> <laughs> Seems know. about right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those Americans coming in. Yep. 
How many jobs did you steal when you lived in Britain? Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I took so many they had to kick me out, you know? Yeah, because you were so young and beautiful and fiery that yes. none of the prim English women could compete with you. And madly in love with someone who's just so abusive. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. They actually do kind of start talking to each other about the, you know, the experience thing. And they kind of hang out with each other after hours and talk to each other about their experiences and, com- you know, compare. And it's like, oh, they didn't go to the same place. Um, I mean, apparently. Uh, Narnia being Narnia and the labyrinth being what what Sarah calls the underground, which I do not remember being a term no. in labyrinth. No, I don't recall that either. But, oh, right, yeah. but we're just supposed to take it that that's the name of the realm that the labyrinth is in. Unless yeah, there's the some kind of labyrinth canon, like well, there novelization is. of the book well, that, that I haven't be. read. Maybe that was in there. I don't know. Or it could have been made up by this author. But There's that sequel manga, but that's far after this was released. This was, this fan is from 2004. I think it's fair to say that, I mean, I don't know if it's canon, but that to come up with a name for the realm makes sense and the underground yeah. makes sense. Since the Goblin Kingdom, it's a labyrinth and the sky is always dark. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Same to fit. I was no, like, I, all right, I'll roll yeah. with it. Sure, sure. And, you know, there's probably other stuff there besides the labyrinth, right? You mm-hmm. would think? Yeah. What's beyond the labyrinth? <laughs> Narnia, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, After Jared a ways. Is, is the Goblin King, so you assume there's a Goblin Kingdom that isn't just the labyrinth, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, it could just be the labyrinth, but whatever. It, well, okay. I always assume there was more to the kingdom than the labyrinth. It but. could just be a little pool in the forest in the magician's nephew. Amato. Now, it comes out in the conversation also that Susan, you know, she's well aware that, like, Aslan is Jesus. Like, she's she's got that. And so she's been kind of bouncing around for many, for a long time, kind of like checking out churches, whatever. But she hasn't received the kind of religious epiphany that, like, she's looking for in terms of really being able to, like, believe in Jesus. And when I say Aslan is Jesus... At the very least, you know, in the context of this fanfic, Aslan is the Jesus of Narnia, right? Whether or not they are literally the same being is not made completely clear in the context of this fanfic. Well, Susan's been searching for Aslan in churches, and specifically Christian churches. So I feel like she kind of knows that that's, like, he's at least God, you know, he's at least part of the... He's, a, he's one part of the, the Holy Trinity. What know? do you call a trinity if it has four elements? A, a quadrant. A rectangle. <laughs> <laughs> quadru- it's less cool sounding. So a rectangle. <laughs> Thank you, CJ. You're welcome. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Lion. <laughs> well, that's something that didn't really line up very well for me in this fanfic. Like, she's been going to all of these churches, and she hasn't really found Aslan Christ. And then she does in a church specifically named, like, the Church of the Lion. The lion. And then she's like, okay, now I'll read the Bible. And I just didn't get it. Like, I was like, why? Yeah, apparently, this Church of the Lion's been hanging out in, are they in London? Yeah. Like, the yeah. whole time. And she's been checking out all the churches for all these years, and she hasn't gone to the Church of the Lion? It was right, anyway. now is the time that Jesus. I mean, Aslan reveals himself <laughs> to her. I yeah. guess. Well, yeah. I mean, there's got to be an element of that too, right? So there's a few things going on here. After she and Sarah have that chat, you know, S- Susan is feeling better about things, and she does, you know, find this church, and she like goes in and talks to the pastor there. The other thing is that the pastor is like 
ballpark her age and hot. And right. the yeah. gender that she's attracted to. So, like, there's... Which is, is, is that men, a, because, you know, because that's how this sure. thing If either of you or any of our listeners have watched Fleabag, that... I don't know if you have, but that's all I could think about. The yeah. second season of Fleabag. Yeah, I, I watched that this. on your recommendation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've just got to say, like, if, if you've got the issue, the problem of Susan, of her not, you know not getting into heaven because she's, like, kind of sexually active or whatever, implicitly. Like, that's how you're going to get her back into church is by there, like, being, being you know, a, like a hot priest. Yeah, I but mean, he's, yes. not, he's not a priest, right? He is a... He's a church was, official of some kind. This is what I was confused about, is I, I assumed it was a Protestant denomination because, well... Not to spoil the ending, but they, reverend. They, he is a reverend. reverend. Thank you. The, the point is, is that there's no like big thing about him not being able to date her. Priests cannot. Date, uh, gotta so. be. Is it the Church of England? What is it? The Church of England? Well, the, does that have its the, own? That has its own rules, right? It it does. No, but, but ca- Catholic priests cannot date. That's just the way it is. But yeah, the Church of England is. I, well, I, I assume C.S. Lewis was writing from a Church of England perspective, but I don't know which much is, about it him. Which would so. be Protestant. The Church right. of England yeah. was set up so that the so that the king could get divorced. Henry VIII is, could, right. yeah, get divorced. I, oh, of course. <laughs> the, like, yeah. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, I, like, think, I, I mean, kind of, kind of. On the Susan angle, like I said, um, she's feeling lighter after like revealing things with, with Sarah. She heads into this church. It's called the Church of the Lion. And we'll back up a little bit for one other plot point, but, you know, right. we're, we're on this thread right now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't far from where she lived, it turns out. Oh, from where Sarah lived. Okay. Um, uh-huh. And this is really, literally just her, like, going through every church in, mm-hmm. in London, like we said. Yeah. Um, and they, she has a conversation with the reverend here, and it turns out he's Narnian. This is what's actually kind of a cool little plot point. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, continuity point, right? Because apparently at some point, a bunch of Narnians were kind of um, evacuated to Earth for a little yeah. while. Yeah. What what book was that in? Uh, I don't know, honestly. Uh, I but... thought that was the last one because that's when that huge battle happened. Yeah. Like the last book, the unicorn something, unicorn unicorn battle book Maybe. what is it called doesn't narnia anyway. come to an end in some way yes and then there's like a huge Narnians battle have to leave hmm. some of them leave with uh our earthly children royals mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the, i remember that the books kind of built up you know in my kind of shaky memory of it to the last book which was very war concerned in this mm-hmm. huge conflict and yeah there was a lot of like children having to leave and he ends up being a, chil- a child of a noble family mm-hmm. and this is interesting though because they were noble until Caspian's Caspian. rule was overthrown and then when Caspian was reinstated as king he became noble again but apparently he was ejected from not ejected but like sent by Aslan to He's a refugee. Our world. He's yeah. a Narnian yeah. refugee right. on Earth. But yeah. be, that was before Caspian was reinstated as king. So actually, maybe that wasn't the last book. Anyway. I don't think we need to get into the like dynastic politics or mm-hmm. you know noble stuff. But yeah, suffice it to say, it's interesting about him. I forget exactly how it fits in with Narnia continuity, but I think it it does. Like he mm-hmm. stayed behind while a lot of other people. He stayed behind on Earth because Aslan had like a plan for him or something. Right. And um, Susan has a passing memory of him, like mm-hmm. seeing him as a child. 
when mm. she was queen. And as, she was like as a, they were leaving, a, a ground queen, though. Yeah. yeah. There's also other things going on early on in the story. There's this thing where both Susan and Sarah are drawn to like symbols of the other's experience. Like Susan finds a little crystal ball that is reminiscent of the Goblin Kings and picks it up for Sarah. And Sarah finds a what is it? A, a, a lion statue. A, lion wooden, statue. a wooden lion carving, I think. Yeah, you know, it's carving, just like yeah. those like carvings of Cthulhu that show up all over the world, right? <laughs> Like, yeah. with a strange resemblance hinting at a deeper, darker truth. It's like, oh, that's an Aslan statue. That's not just any lion. You can tell. That's it's right. actually sweet because their shared experience, like, creates this bond between them where they're really focused on the happiness of the other. It's just sort of unfortunate because a lot of the focus on the happiness is in finding the other, their man, yeah, in some way. Sarah yeah. has decided at this point that she's in love with Jareth, mm. the Goblin King. Yes. Now, weird. It's so. I have so much weird. to say. I have so much to say. I mean, this. I think we all do because it's so messed up. But it is. I don't know if we should hold that for later or not. Um, or just let the listeners think their own thoughts because it's so messed up. In the cold hard light of 2019, it does not hold up. Right. Yeah. I'm going to give this author a little bit of leeway. It was what 2004. 2004. We didn't know younger. that. And you know, as always, like the author would probably do this kind of thing differently 15 years later than they did at whatever age they wrote this 15 years ago in 2004. Mm. Exactly. But, like, okay, there's the age. There's the fact that how many times did she communicate with Jareth? Like, three? Four? Mm -hmm. Maybe? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And she's been thinking this over for the last, like... 13 to 15 years, something like that. Actually... And she's like, oh, yeah, that guy... I love him. Yeah, and she's been in love with him. And actually, the most messed up part is that he's also in love with her. Yeah, no, that... Uh, and it's like... Um, that guy... He's like 3,000 years old, and he hasn't seen her since she was 15. And Well, to be fair... Time would move slower for, for him. That probably means for him, it's been like two weeks. Right. Well, my point... Yeah, that it makes it even worse. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it makes it worse. But my point is, I was talking with my brother earlier... Um, and I was just like, so it would have been fine if they'd met back up, developed a relationship now that she's an adult, because fine, she's an adult. She sure. can make those choices. But the fact that as soon as they do meet up, they're together mm-hmm. means he's holding a torch for the 15 year old version of her. And that's not okay. Well, there's so but, many things that aren't okay about this. So and there's things. so many rewrites I would do like that mm-hmm. in my head to like make this Okay. Potentially, even though it's still not like he was just so abusive. He he yeah, you know, kidnapped a child. Yeah, he kidnapped her technically and brought her to his kingdom. <laughs> uh, trapped her, terrorized her. Um, you know, made inappropriate advances to yes. someone who was thousands, I assume, of years yeah. younger than he is. <laughs> and you know the. It, it's it's referenced in passing here and forgiven in the fanfic, I mean, and forgiven pretty quickly. But, like, that's not the only baby he stole. No. He, he's stolen. Oh, no. He's got to have stolen so many babies. Basically. So how many notches are in this bedpost for Goblin King? All right? <laughs> not You're not <laughs> special, Sarah. <laughs> right? Well, okay. But, but we're, She's just the most recent <laughs> stolen baby. But the main issue I have is, to me, the labyrinth is like a metaphor for um, coming into your womanhood and being able to stand up for yourself and say no and um, yeah. not be a child that's just told what to do anymore, but really like come into your own. And this kind of defeats the purpose of that in my mind. 
I totally agree with you. That was a huge point in the labyrinth is that he was an adult who was hitting on her as a 15 year old. The classic big gesture, right? Yeah. That gets a pass in so many, you know, movies and other media that we consume. But she says no for really good reason. For really (laughs) good reason. It was so important. And this fanfic does undo all of that good stuff, the things I really liked about the labyrinth. Now, we are jumping ahead because in this fanfic, Sarah and Jareth have not even come back into contact. And here's the way it happens. Oh, dear. It's, I mean, it's it's interesting. I feel like it could have been a lot more interesting. But Susan, while praying to Aslan, you know in addition to whatever normal prayers, she's like, um, I don't suppose you know the Goblin King? And she's like, ha ha ha, that's silly. But if you do know him, could you give him the message that Sarah loves him and misses him and wants to know whether he's alive or dead? Why would she think he's dead? He's the Goblin King. Whatever. You know, she, she prays to Aslan. And what happens is, in another time and place, Aslan, who, you know, I guess always listens to the prayers of his followers, he not only knows Jareth, he's... I don't want to call him Jareth's boss... He's more like Jareth's parole officer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Pretty much. Well, he is is God, right? right. He's God of that realm. And so, like, they know each other. They know each other very well. He's very much treated as the king of all the lands, because we do discover that the underground where Labyrinth exists is kind of part of the same world. Right. It's just a realm that Susan never had a chance to visit, because... You know, the the lands she visited were limited, and she was aware of other lands. Like. Now, that's a little odd, because given the cosmology of the, the of Narnia and, you know, what right, the pools and the forest, mm-hmm. right, the magician's nephew, I would have expected it to be a different world that is not Earth. Right. But sure, it's given here to be, it's the same realm as Narnia. Right, and, and it's given to be that Aslan is king of the world, of that world. So you've got Earth as its own kind of world, and Aslan is king of this other world that the underground is also a part of. And I think that's fair, and I think it's a reasonable way to kind of combine the two worlds and not have it be too convoluted. It's also a good plot device, because Aslan gets to like put pressure on everybody to do what Aslan's main godlike plan is. My Basically. main complaint about that as world building is that it, I don't want to stop there. Like, if I'm doing that, then, like, oh, that part of the underground is ruled by the Gnome King, so over it is Oz, and, like, over to the side over there right? is Wonderland, and, like... Sure. <laughs> They're all connected now. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't just have two of them. <laughs> but I feel like the implication is that there wasn't, is that the world, that world was so vast that there could be openings. Like, I, I almost feel like this author left that option open to themselves. No, that's okay mm. with me. I yeah. kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. So the relationship between Jareth and Aslan is that Jareth is a she, and the rest of the race of she have moved on to, you know, whatever, the West in Valinor, or like, you know, lie in heaven, whatever. Jareth is behind because he totally fucked up in his youth. And they leave it as a kind of untold story, but he definitely made all the unicorns die. He definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a big deal. He feels bad about it. He does. <laughs> And, and so, all those babies he stole. He feels bad about that now, too. But, a no, little. No. The, the, the <laughs> stolen babies are definitely after he was, like, punished by becoming the yes. Goblin King. And <laughs> the idea is Aslan's like, you're going to rule over these dumb goblins until you're a better person. And so that's the, that's the punishment. That's the, like, that's the reform plan. How it's is defi- that a punishment? <laughs> there's definitely still a, a king. There's definitely a vibe here also of Aslan like checking with Jareth and being like, hope you're not still stealing babies. But like if you are, it's not like Aslan's gonna stop him. 
He's got a divine plan. Yeah. It might involve a few stolen babies here and there. It's, you know, grand scheme of things. Free will, you know. (laughs) So Jareth is very respectful to Aslan. And Aslan, you know, comes in and he's like, hey, one of my daughters on Earth has learned of you and gave me a message to deliver to you that, like, this kid, Sarah, you knew, loves you and wants to know whether you're alive or dead. Like, he literally just shows up as a messenger, which is interesting. You know, it's part of Aslan's plan, definitely, that this message be passed along. But, like, it, it's kind of funny. He's also, you know, doing a, like, check-in thing that apparently they do. Right. He's like, hey, still any babies recently? No, just the last one a few years ago? Great, good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're kicking that habit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Which begs the question, if he's just coming to check in if Jareth is stealing babies, why would Jareth, like, not just lie to him every time? I guess Aslan would know. You don't lie to Aslan. Yeah, that's a good point. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. I like that he calls... why does he check in at all? (laughs) I like that he calls Jareth a son of (laughs) Sir Nagel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like some fairy reference, right? I like that that's how Aslan refers to everybody. It's like, what manner of creature of you are you? Like, what (laughs) what are you descended from? Daughter of Eve? Great. Son of Sir Nagel, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, you know? Yeah, I like yeah. it. He's got his whole, uh, what do you call it, taxonomy mm-hmm. going on. And, but anyway, during this conversation, it's kind of a funny vibe. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of just funny that, it's a, that that's their relationship. But also, I feel like there's a problem here with writing Jareth. Writing Aslan is fine. He just, like, is kind of, you know... Well, he doesn't explain himself, but he's clearly benevolent. He is literally God. It's fine. Writing Jareth, I feel like you run into the problem of any given line would probably be fine if it was performed by David Bowie. Right. But the lines are not performed by David Bowie, so they fall flat. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can't, it's not like some character performances where I can just imagine how that voice would be. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know how David Bowie would have read this line. Probably great. But I can't, like, picture it in my head. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, some of his dialogue, I was like, I don't know if David Bowie would say that. I don't know (laughs) if he would. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of in that boat, actually. I feel like, like, I kind of disagree with what you're saying, Gabato. I feel like if you, if the author just put in, put some, like, flavor of... Jareth as a character into this it could have been done Hmm. but they kind of just let it go like I don't know I was just not imagining David Bowie anymore I was just imagining some other character in my head like I can pick any random piece of dialogue here Jareth smirked great tall fellow yes tawny fur golden eyes and a mane even bigger than mine goes by the name of Aslan he blinked innocently is that who you mean madam I don't know, man. Yeah, it just wasn't... I don't know. It wasn't the flavor of the character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he's definitely not strange enough for one thing, right? Right. He's not sinister or menacing enough. And I think that's maybe the author's point, is they want right. him to be likable so that they can fall in love and get married for some gosh darn reason. Because, oh my gosh, who watched The Labyrinth and thought those two should get together? Because it was maybe the Maybe heartbreak has changed him. Yeah, I don't that know. Doesn't happen. <laughs> I guess they kind of rewrote him into a character that they could see Sarah getting together with. I don't know why, but they did. We'll we'll move on a little bit then. Um, 
Because, yeah, Sarah and Susan, you know, they've got their relationship. They've got the conversation. Susan has that crystal, the, the sphere. It's got an owl inside it. She convinces Sarah to try to use it to contact Jareth mm-hmm. and, like, call him by name and wish to speak with him. And her explanation is kind of like she actually knows a little bit about, like, name magic and stuff because she lived in Narnia as a queen for forever. And, like, she just kind of general exposure. Right. That's the reasoning here. Mm-hmm. And obviously it works. And it, because, you know, unlike Aslan, who you have to accept on faith because he is God, Jareth is not God. He's not even the devil, which is what I was kind of expecting partially into this oh, fanfic. Oh, that would have been so cool. Like, yeah. I mean. <laughs> or like the, a the, Hades figure. Like the, the Narnian devil. I don't mean like, you right. know, Lucifer. But no. like, the if Aslan is like Narnian Jesus, then maybe Jareth could have been like Narnian Lucifer, right? I'm just saying I can see like a Hades Persephone kind of thing mm-hmm. going on here. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the flavor of Labyrinth to begin right. with. So yeah, exactly. The Labyrinth being a big part, mm-hmm. you know, the, I mean, like, when, you, that. when you have like the the like old women piling physical things onto her back, you know, that is a temptation thing. That is a sin and mm-hmm. like removing you from, you know, God's grace with like material, you know, things weighing you down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it could all tie together very well. Yeah. 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 Missed opportunity. But in short, as you've indicated, uh, Tori, especially Jareth shows up and he's like, Oh Yeah. It's it's my best person I'm in love with, Sarah, and now I'm still totally into you. And not right. any of those other girls whose babies or <laughs> I've stolen. Sibling Siblings, babies whatever. I've stolen. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently the last baby he stole was Sarah's little brother. Yes. And he never did it again. For some reason. Well, because he's so torn up about not being able to seduce that one chick. But Heartbreak. like that's so not evident in the source. <laughs> no, it's really not. I feel like there's some work you could have done, you would have needed to do here, which was not done. Yeah. Right. But going into chapter two, Jareth in a... Jareth and Sarah go to Aslan straight off to ask permission to marry. Not. I guess it's because Jareth is still on parole and, like, needs this approval, I guess that's the idea, right? It's just the shortest courtship ever. <laughs> like, hi, good to see you. It's been 15 years. Let's get married. All right? Okay. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. I, I do have to say that <laughs> I, I remember I was telling Amato this the other day, but I was listening to part of this when I was driving home one night when I was really tired and I was just, like, so cranky. I just remember getting, like, viscerally very, very angry about this whole love romance to the point where I, like, couldn't actually fall asleep. And it was especially around this point where they were like, oh, it's good to see you. Let's get married. Mm. Like, Yeah, no, I know. It's very Disney it's princess. so it's, hard to process. It is perfunctory, shall we say. <laughs> and the other thing that surprised me about this is that if I was kind of assuming this would be some kind of love redemption for Jareth, it, it's, you know, been established that, like, he's supposed to be ruling over these goblins to become a better person and as punishment, but kind of both. I was kind of expecting this to, like, in some way free him from that position. And it doesn't. Instead, the assumption from square one is that Sarah's going to be the goblin queen now. Yeah. He's still going to be in that same position in the labyrinth. Yeah. Hey, this is and no yeah. Beauty and the Beast scenario, okay? <laughs> Just because he finds love doesn't mean the goblins turn back into 
I don't know, animals or something. <laughs> and yet Sarah seems to have no qualms about this. Well, like, that's one of the things Aslan asks her when they ask permission. It's like, are you ready to be the Goblin Queen? And she's like, no, but I'll do my best. And he's like, good answer. Yeah, and it's just weird because they never... There was such a strong, in the first chapter, building... Well, I, uh, maybe not super strong, but at least they focused a lot on Susan and Sarah interacting mm-hmm. as girls, as women, and having kind of, like social relationships with one another, talking about their feelings. A lot of those feelings were about men or about Aslan, i.e. God, etc. But th- but that shared connection lets them rediscover their connection to these places that they've lost, right? Right. Yeah. It just it felt like they had character depth. And as soon as Jareth enters the picture for Sarah... She drops she, out of yeah, the Yeah, she just picture, doesn't yeah. even really exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like She's like, oh, yes, will I be a good wife and mother? All right, good, let's go. I, I and like, that's all she has to say. That's like the last real line of dialogue she has, other than to encourage Susan later on to also get married. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it did, I feel like there was a point that kind of, that kind of stood out to me, where um, Aslan is talking to her and kind of telling her his backstory um, you know, dude, he was always impetuous. Jareth went on to tell her a complicated story involving his family, his ambition, Aslan, the race of unicorns, and a malicious practical joke with dire consequences. That is to say, all the unicorns die. <laughs> Sarah was appalled by the narrative, but more determined than ever to help Jareth win back his position among the she. That's it. What? She's just like, you freaking killed all the unicorns, dude. That's appalling, but now I'm more determined than ever to help you. That's appalling, but I can change you. I mean, I suppose you could say this isn't Sarah's story, it's Susan's story. No, but but it's not really, because... Well, because it starts out with her perspective and ends on her perspective. Yeah, but Sarah and Jareth get more screen time in terms of, like, stuff happening, like what's happening with their marriage and Don't get me wrong. I'm not agreeing with this perspective. (laughs) I'm just trying to, like be nice to the author a little <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mean oh, it's yeah. not it's not fair to the female i guess we, we get a follow-up sentence here i just noticed sarah you know a paragraph later sarah upset that jareth's foolishness and arrogance had caused the extinction of an entire race of magical beings in her own world nevertheless promised to help him any way she could right it's never returned to again after this she just disappears as a person and is just yeah well, honestly like servant to this this guy i would have been way into it if she had been obsessing over this guy, called him back, declared her love to him, then started to learn about him, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait. Maybe I was right. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been good. It's like, whoa, we're not married yet. I'm going to back out of this. You killed the unicorns? (laughs) It's actually quite strange that they even bring that up in such a a sentence like that. Like, Mm -hmm. why even make it known it's like drawing attention to the story's own misogyny and folly, I guess. The fact that the story starts out with the women being such strong friends and that being so important, and then having Sarah just decide to become a non-actor. Like, really being like, oh, the guy, like, is awful and evil? That's very appalling and upsetting. I'm going to marry him. It's okay. <laughs> I can like, save still David him. Bowie. Yeah. I can save him from himself, but which is she doesn't just even not healthy. <laughs> she doesn't even fully think that she no, just thinks really I need to that. help him yeah. like regain his position. Like she doesn't even think I need to help him become a better person. She I think it's stated in here at some point. Is that I think she does say something about that. Uh well that's probably also the case, so 
Now, just that sentence in particular, she's like, I just need to help him get better status now. Like, Well, like, there's, like, this example. Um, they're setting up for the wedding, and he's, like, hung some goblins on the walls instead of bunting. And she's like, don't you think it would be nice to have bunting instead? And is, like, gently nudging him in the right direction. Yeah. Clearly, she's trying to make him a better person through her, like, love alone. Because <laughs> she's such a good wife. Oh, yes. But uh, it's just not... That's not how it works in real life. People, you know, people think they can change people, but it's just not. Yeah, not how it works. But that is kind of the archetypal, like traditional, and this is a very traditionalist story right. with the Christianity and all that and the heterosexuality. It's very traditionalist. It's like the woman should be a support for the man, and actually, it's almost like, like feminism but i don't even want to call it that but like it used to be that women's power was perceived to be in the subtle nudging and gentle mm-hmm. changing of the man over time because they can't ever challenge the man's power but they can subtly help them to become better right. so there you go so well, in this we, way i feel it's stated that that's what her kind of yeah goal is yeah we sure. could circle around on that probably for a while but back over in penvisi land uh, Pevensey. Pevensey. <laughs> Susan. Siouxland. <laughs> Susan and this guy Darian from Narnia, who's a reverend, um, they, they get closer and, you know, it's, they share a lot of this stuff about, you know, Narnia that they can't share with anyone else, right? And also she asks him, would you be willing to teach me what Aslan is like in this world? Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe it is kind of explicit that Aslan equals Jesus, not just Aslan is equivalent to Jesus. I always thought it was Aslan is God, like not Jesus in particular. Well, he's particular, nailed to a table but... and, you know, sacrifices his body to die for other people's sins. Okay, maybe right. that's with... just a, that's fair. I just, I guess I always thought of it like from a Holy Trinity perspective that. I just thought, I don't yeah. know about that because I was raised in a weird Protestant religion that didn't have that, but I always saw the Chronicles of Narnia as <laughs> C.S. Lewis's attempt to make Christianity understandable and palatable and um, attractive to children mm-hmm. to kind of like totally. make them better Christians as they grow up. So oh, wow. it, it does make sense kind of equating Aslan with Jesus. Now, Tori, I do That's now probably want... true. I mean, I was raised Catholic, which I understand is not the norm. And I don't know if Lewis was a Catholic or not. So I you're, I mean, your, your perspective is probably more correct. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So that's really out there. <laughs> no, but so... the Holy Trinity is a Catholic thing. Right. So like... C.S. Lewis was not Catholic. He was Anglican. Yeah, that so is the Church of England yes. yeah. as theorized before. So we're both coming from... Deranged denominations of Christianity, according to the the popular Protestant perspective, according to C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, talking about Aslan and the Trinity does make me want to have some sort of, I don't know, Lion King Aslan thing with a father lion and a son lion <laughs> and some kind of lion ghost in the sky. I know like, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I think we can do this crossover. Yes, Narnia Lion King. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll write it tonight after we're done recording. Sounds great. The minister, Darian, and Susan are getting closer. And like I said, and she asks him to teach him about what Aslan is like in this world. And, you know, they do, a, they do some Bible study over the course of days, maybe weeks, whatever. On the one hand, according to Darian, Susan's mind was so sharp and agile that it contrasted sharply with her gentle, quiet demeanor. Sure, great. She's sharp, she's agile. But here's the text about like, kind of her you know, religious experience. For her part, Susan was a thirst for information, 
Everything that Darian taught her about Christ rang true in her mind and reminded her of Aslan. She sobbed at the recollection of seeing the magnificent lion humiliated and punished to pay the price for something that someone else had done, and Darian's own eyes filled with tears as she described it to him. He explained about Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, and Susan smiled with a quiet joy as she remembered how happy she and Lucy had been to see Aslan alive again. Now, the way that's presented, it's like a chick tract where it's like, the person just had... Have you heard of Jesus? And they're like, no, what? Yes, Tell me more. Seriously. See, this is it, right? She's been searching churches, and then she's like, who's Jesus? Tell me about... Like, she hears about his crucifixion and resurrection for the first time? Yeah, what, oh, like, what's the deal with this resurrection? <laughs> oh, my it's God. Like, she should She should know that intellectually. The problem should not be that she's not clear on the story the of story, Jesus. Yeah. Like, the problem should be that she cannot, like... And I mean, maybe that's what the author is getting at, is that she can make, talking to him, she can, like, make that connection with her own experiences and feel, like, connected to Christ. Sure. But it kind of sounds like she's like, hey, this Christ guy is just like Aslan. I never thought about that before. Not so sharp and agile right now, are you, Susan? <laughs> also, doesn't it make it a little artificial that, like, the first time she's making these connections is because from like someone she's attracted yeah, to. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, like, they fall in love over Bible study. That's like, not the direction you should be shit. going with Susan, given that like you don't you don't fix the problem of like her being excluded from heaven for being you know like sexually active or whatever or whatever that implication is supposed to be. You don't fix that by having her get to Jesus through a guy that she's attracted to. Maybe that's the adult novel that C.S. Lewis didn't want to write. So adult. (laughs) The only plausible explanation that I have for this is that the author, coming probably from a Christian perspective, might see married love as being different from other types of sexual attraction. Well, that's certainly probably true, yeah. So, like, he's the guy, he's within Aslan's plan, and therefore he's... It's somehow spiritual and different from any other attraction to another person. Now, speaking of marriage, um, you know, they get invitations to the wedding that's happening very soon between Sarah and... And by they get invitations, I mean Susan gets an invitation. But she takes, what's his name, the guy, Darian. I'll remember that because it's a token guy just like Tuxedo Mask. Exactly. Great. Good thing they waited a whole month before they got married, by the way. It took that long to arrange the wedding, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, she takes Darian as her date. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, flattered and all that kind of stuff. She even dresses him. Yeah. <laughs> she, right, she gets some Narnian clothes hand-tailored that are just like one of Peter's outfits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. It's a little strange, honestly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit of clothing porn here, like in the way that some people... <laughs> <laughs> I, I use that in the same term as like food porn. Yeah. Where it's like you're if you're really it. if you're really into food and you're like, oh yeah, that description of that pot roast is like awesome. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh my god. I, like Sorry. it's that kind of thing where like someone was very interested in what people are wearing and I am not interested, but the author was. Definitely. And like was very into like designing these outfits and like explaining them and you know, admiring them, right? Except it's only really this one outfit. No, it's a couple of them. Well, Isn't there's it? a there's a whole paragraph devoted to just her hair. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, well the hair. Susan's outfit it's... gets a paragraph. Her hair gets a paragraph. Uh-huh. Uh, his outfit gets a paragraph, um, and then a, a, another sentence about the matching of colors with his eyes and his hair. Mm-hmm. So oh, like, her hair a... gets 
one and a half paragraphs, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a decent amount. Yeah. I kind of read some of that as just being like your average, like the beautiful gleaming eyes and lovely hair of the attractive other protagonist. It's true anyway. to canon Susan character, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I always read Susan as being like kind of just this tough bitch, you know? Well, uh, well. one of the problems with the Susan thing is that it's all informed attributes by the time she's written out. You don't get to see Susan in the last battle. Everyone's just sure. like, oh yeah, Susan, she's terrible now. And like, yeah, uh, what, what's her perspective on this? Is this, yeah. is this fair that's and accurate? I guess it must be because literally God denied her, you know, a place with the others, but like... Yeah, that is the problem with Susan's character in general. And I guess this is the this author's answer to, what is it called, the Susan problem I or mean, whatever. The, the problem of Susan is the name yeah, of the game in story, but sometimes yeah. people use that now as a term gotcha. when, like, discussing the, like, mm-hmm. the issue. Gotcha. The harlotization of <laughs> female yeah. characters. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is part of it, because there's nothing that led up to Susan being the way she ended up being described and cast out of the kingdom of Aslan, mm. but that's basically... Her characterization in this is being superficial. I no, suppose. I mean I don't think that's what the author's going for. Uh, I think I think the author's interested in those yeah. outfits, but it, we're not supposed to take that Susan is unduly interested in them. Oh no, I think. I yeah. I think the author wants us to show that she's taking care to look nice for this wedding. She's very excited that this is the first thing she's been excited about in a while and that, that sort of thing. But And when they go to the wedding, you know, they're like transported there from the church. The first thing they see is Aslan. And, you know, it is at least catharsis for her to be able to see Aslan and, you know, throw her arms around him and uh, apologize for forgetting him or Narnia or whatever. And, you know, Aslan being Aslan... His line is, peace, daughter. Aslan growled a little, but with tolerance. I did not come to hear your excuses, but to welcome you back. He shook his mane and breathed on the two of them. And now it is time we were gone. So he's not talking about it. Aslan does not talk about your feelings. Aslan just, you know, he forgives you. He's great. He's a big lion. And he breathes on you. He does that too. It's so weird. That seems seems accurate, (laughs) Aslan, too. I know. It it is from the books. I just always found it really weird. Actually, really, I always felt some like cool, like Mufasa type vibes from the Aslan breath. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I am powerful. I, I just can't uh, imagine it without having it be just really funny. A lion breathing on you <laughs> sounds pretty dope, though. I'm not gonna lie. I guess so. <laughs> How much better would the Bible be if Jesus just was a lion? And breathe like, on you. you know, yeah. a, li- a lion is born, and king Whoa. is coming to give him gifts, and like he grows up, and the lion goes around Judea. We have like to write this Lion King crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Read the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just funny because, yeah, I just have such affection for Aslan as a character, even though, yeah. you know, being raised Catholic, I have quite a bit of criticism for Jesus as a figure in our culture. It's like, Aslan's pretty dope, you You're know? Like, to love you can't Aslan, really you know? complain about Aslan. He's pretty great. I mean, you can't really complain about Jesus either. You can just complain about Christianity. So it's kind of nice, I guess, in the Chronicles of Narnia that you kind of get a Jesus figure disconnected from being actually Jesus in our culture. Well, I would expect you to complain that Aslan is not as socialist as Jesus. Not nearly. That's a good point. 
But if he showed up and offered to breathe on me, I'd oh, probably just be yeah. like, all right. <laughs> I mean, he is a lion, though. I feel like that gives him a lot of passes for, like, not getting the whole human thing. Yeah, yeah. that seems fair. He, he, you're right. He's, like, concerned with everyone. Even, like, little sentient bunnies or whatever. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of bratty sometimes, though. He is like, I know better than you, and I won't tell you what you need to know, even though I know it. Peace, daughter. Mm, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of annoying. <laughs> Jareth meets Darian. They get to kind of like go off and chat about their chicks, and the chicks get to go off and chat about their guys, and there's some of that, you know. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, it's it's, it's a so thing. like '90s sitcom. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're getting married. The women shall talk now, and the men shall talk now. Even though Jareth and Darian don't know no. each other, they're like, oh yes, the men shall now convene. And we're gonna convene. go powder our noses. Excuse us. Yes. And like the girls go off to the bathroom. The guys are like, women. <laughs> if I think about exactly who, who I would expect Jareth from the movie Labyrinth to get along famously with, a handsome young Anglican minister is not high on my list. No, he right? would, <laughs> but he would be threatened and bored simultaneously. Here's the thing. thing. Yes, actually, exactly. <laughs> totally agree. Of course, this Jareth is different. But here's the way in. The way in is the fact that Darian used to be of Narnia, and he hasn't seen any mythical, magical beasts in a long time. Mm, so he's like, right. show me all your crazy-ass creatures that are going to tear me up, dog. And that is exactly what happens. And my... Hours before your wedding. Yes. Right. He doesn't or have an hour, to do. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the one point where I really laughed here was, you know, he asks, show me some magical creatures. Jared says, what kind? I'll see what I can do. His formality had dropped like a shield, and he seemed pleased to have a playmate. Oh, unicorn, or dragons, unicorns, centaurs, anything, really. Jared sobered. No unicorns, I'm afraid. Because <laughs> <laughs> I killed them all. <laughs> he forced some cheer back into his speech and went on. Oh, yeah, but there will be dragons. Anyway, I just like that, you know, strange smile. Sorry, no unicorns. Yeah. Um... And it's so silly. There's that whole thing of men like being childish too, where it's like, let's play with something dangerous. <laughs> Susan and Sarah chatting. Sarah says that kind of thing too. Uh, Susan asks, "So how are you? Are you getting along in the going up to this wedding?" Sarah nodded with an impish grin. Mostly, she repeated. She laughed a little and explained, "He's quite wonderful, really, and very devoted to his kingdom." Is he really? Mm-hmm. Not no. Really. He, he is no. mean to his subjects, man. He's really mean. <laughs> Doesn't he like literally punch them like yes. in the movie? Yeah. He just punishes them as he sees fit. He's like, he has this weird surveillance thing, like guy. the Big Brother thing going on. We've <laughs> established he's not a good guy. No. Oh, okay, that's not what I actually wanted to say. Uh, very devoted <laughs> to his kingdom and to me, she added shyly. But as the last of his race, he's had no adult mentor at all. Sometimes he acts like a little boy. It's rather cute, she admitted. So, like, you almost have conflict there again. You almost have conflict between Sarah and Jareth, but you don't. No. Because now she can take care of him as if he's a child. Oh, how sweet. Because Mm -hmm. literally the only thing that men can be in this sort of narrative is, like, awful and abusive or just childish and abusive, basically. And if they're childish, it's forgivable. Because they're sweet. Or irreverent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be that. or that. You could be that. But I, I, I agree. I also <laughs> think that's childish, actually. Yes. Well. Because Darian's also the one who encourages the childish behavior. And anyway. Yeah. Well, there's not a whole lot more to the plot of the fanfic. The wedding's going off. Very strangely, 
we don't see Sarah's old friends from the labyrinth. Like, there's no Ludo. No. What, what happened? I don't I know what know. happened. Which is weird because Jareth was not her friend. He was her enemy. Where's Hoggle? And they're getting together, and she doesn't even see her friends. It's like they rewrote all the relationships to be backwards. It, it's anyway. A, it's odd. You and, know what? They probably would have been like, Sarah, is this a good idea? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so mm-hmm. they, they just weren't invited. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they were stricken from the guest list That's huh, right. after yeah. a few conversations. Also, what happened to her little brother, who's now like 15 now? I think he features in the, the follow-up comic that came out a few years back. But I mean is in this fan. Yeah, there is. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, but the, the main event that happens in the wedding is that, you know, during the exchange of vows or whatever, or before that, you know, Aslan stops time in order to let Darian propose to Susan, which is, I've got to admit, several notches above any kind of proposal I had. I'm not sure I'm not sure we really had a proposal to speak of. It did not involve God stopping time for us to do it. That's like... I can pretend that happened. <laughs> intense. <laughs> yeah. They've yeah. known each other for less than a month, or about a month, maybe? About a month, probably. They yeah. have not kissed, had sex, lived together, slept in the same room, same bed, same house... They met basically, his family. Well, I mean, she doesn't have one, but met his family. Met any family, yeah. They, they basically know nothing about each other, or whether they're compatible or not. Devil's advocate, as someone born in the early 20th century, Susan has different standards and priorities and, you know, ways of going about this. Except in this fanfic, she was not born in the early 20th century, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> also, and, they're in magical land, so does it even count anymore? And I think meeting your god trumps meeting your family by a significant margin. Oh, fair enough. And well, if he yes. stops time for you, like, right. this is what's supposed to happen. No, she, she Nonetheless, does, practical concerns, very much ignored. She does ask him, like, uh, Aslan, is this, like, your plan for me? And he's like, no comment. I mean, they, which is fair. Which they also he's establish... Like, Girl, a, look around, I stopped time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad he says... That is your choice, daughter. I cannot make it for you. Yes. But they also do this thing early on where they talk. A lot of pressure, though. Where Darian (laughs) talks about talking to Aslan and, like, asking him questions. And, like, Susan's, like, saying something like, oh, yeah, well, Aslan, she implies that Aslan answers her questions. Mm -hmm. And Darian's like, oh, wait, if you ask him a direct question, he'll actually answer it. And then she stopped and thinks and was like, no, actually, he never would. And I think it's really funny because, like, there's this element of implication that he's doing this all for a purpose to guide them. Mm-hmm. However, it's, like, leading her away from any control in her life. But nonetheless, it's also inference on her part that this is what he wants. Well, it's very I mean, Christian. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm just commenting, like, Aslan still, I've got no beef with Aslan. Aslan does his thing. His lion god thing. He's chilling. He's got a great mane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a double wedding. Um, and they say some vows. And they get married. 
And um, is there anything else to talk about here, really? Actually, this was kind of my favorite part, is that there's a lot of, like, little bits of silliness after the wedding, where apparently it's custom for the wedding party members to give gifts to their guests. And then Jareth has to take care of that for Susan and Darren, because they didn't know they were getting married. And just, like, then they're like, oh, do we owe you a debt? And they're like, no. And there's kind of some bonding between the couples. I actually thought that was the most charming part of the fanfic. Jareth and Sarah actually invite them to live in the labyrinth. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Which, um, do you, would Dude. you really want no. to? I would not want to no. live no. anywhere in that world. I mean, not that a is single not place. Appealing. No. It, I'd be like, yeah, but uh, I think they decide to do it anyway. The, the, the context here, though, is that Jareth is like, hey, Susan, you have some experience being a queen who is not a terrible ruler. And so I could use, like, the advice, like, the, you yeah. know, viziering. And, like, we'll set you up in town and, you know, you'll have some goblin servants because for some reason we're still ruling these poor goblins. Yeah, no um, one's addressed that. Well, Who it's, cares about the goblins? It, no it's, one. It's the divine plan. It's, what do you call it, right of, um, what's that term for, like, God choosing kings and that's um, why? Divine. Divine writ. Divine. Right. Divine right. Yeah. kings yeah yeah it's literally divine right of kings and god is right there so no goblins are gonna like you know raise a fuss about it i guess i guess but yeah. I, but i do like that angle where like uh yeah jareth could probably use some help um being an effective or just not terrible abusive ruler probably uh, he definitely could use some help <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> the fact that susan's like i'll do it i mean that's that's on her i guess it's... right Agency, I suppose. Yeah. It's just... I don't know if I'd uh, do it. <laughs> but sure. Uh, yeah. I do like that this author did spend time establishing that her original earthly life was shitty enough mm. that she would take anything as an alternative. Right. Not like she has any friends besides yeah. Sarah. She's like, I'll some live reason, but... bog of eternal stench adjacent. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> My life like, sucks here on planet Earth. <laughs> it's fine as long as you don't fall into the bog of eternal stench. Right. right? Just avoid it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically the plot was two girls meet, they talk to each other, they hook each other up, yeah. they both get married and move to the labyrinth at the end. <laughs> There's some implied wedding night sex like right. you would in a, you know... Oh, yes. Guardian love story. There's a little funny piece where Darian and Jareth are almost about to, like, go off and fight magical creatures again. Because apparently that's what they did is they fought them hunted or manticore. something. Yeah, hunted yeah. a manticore. Which seems inhumane, but whatever. Well, we don't know what a manticore is in this context. I, I think there's a universal... Con- well, you mean, like, in terms of consciousness? And how, like, terrible they are. Okay, they could be very evil. Fair yeah. enough. Point being, then they decide to have sex instead. I mean, the basically, end. yes. The end. <laughs> the end. And so I feel like, you know, we roll our eyes at a lot of this. I think first and foremost, this is one of those fanfics where we are so not the audience. No. And I think we can make some educated guesses about who the audience is, right? Yes. What would you guess? Uh, me in 2004, probably. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, me if I was a heterosexual Christian in 2004. Yeah, that, that seems fair. Yeah. Were you a heterosexual Christian in 2004? I certainly was. There you go. All right. And so, yeah. like, the author wants to resolve these stories and give happily ever afters. And that's what the story is built to do. And, you know, the fact that those happily ever afters 
are definitely revolving around heterosexual marriages is, you know, one of those things that's coming from the implicit Christian background, I assume. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was definitely a wish fulfillment uh, kind of wrap-up story for these two female characters. Um, what is... Do we know the gender of this author, or at least the gender that they... Present as online? Or at the, at the time? They... I can check the bio, just a moment. Do do do. Because gender matters a lot mm-hmm. in this, and I, I feel like it is written by a woman. That is my intuition. Has a husband... Um, Name is clever, lass, but yeah, I don't yes, see any. Right. Yeah. I don't see any explicit declaration of gender. That seems explicit enough to me. Yeah. My my point being is like, regardless of how the author may identify now, at the current time, sort of seemed like a heterosexual woman, a heterosexual Christian woman, did write this mm-hmm. with that sort of internalized misogyny that's present. Because it starts out very much being about the female relationships, the women relating to each other, but all of their their relation to each other is actually really sweet. Mm-hmm. They understand each other, come from other worlds, but then it all ends up focused on these men, and I feel like that's where their relationships kind of break down. And, and to be breaks fair, down. I think the author tries to return to that relationship in the end. Yeah, I, I just think don't know if true. it's carried off very well. I yeah. feel like the main problem here is that there's no conflict that isn't resolved, you know, instantaneously. Yeah. No, I, I, just, I just mean, like, really, really quickly. It's like, the closest thing we have is Susan struggles with faith. But even that is pretty much just kind of, it's a, a light switch flipped in the second chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so without something throughout the fanfic to kind of struggle with, there's not a lot for their friendship to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not a lot for that core to to help them push through or help them resolve or help them, like... I mean, other than, like, individual actions, like, yeah, Susan helps Sarah get back in touch with Jareth, but, like, that's, that's a one-time thing. It's done, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. There's not a lot of conflict, but it feels like there could be because, I mean, my experience, you know, having lived in the South and known married women in the South and, like, dealing with, like, the conservative religious idea of, like, being a woman who has to have a husband and yet the foibles of the husband and all the conflicts there, I kind of, like, from a secondhand perspective, understand part of this author's point is it's, like, they fall in love with these people and they feel helpless to that love, but those people aren't perfect. Mm -hmm. But I feel like some of the conflicts and the struggle could have been from the imperfectness of their partners. Mm -hmm. And maybe even the reliance on each other that they had initially to kind of, like, come through that. Instead, love kind of conquers all, and it kind of defeats what I would perceive as the proposed conflict of the story, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, kind of makes sense. I, uh, for one thing, obviously, once again, this is from 2004, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. so I don't want to hammer on the author about this, but I, I would also be curious about seeing what they did in a longer form, because glancing over their fanfiction.net, you know, per, what do you call it, bibliography, um, this fanfic's like 18,000 words, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more. It's quite short. It's pretty short. They, they've got another Labyrinth fanfic that is also very explicitly... like 12 years post-Labyrinth, Sarah, uh, presumably Jareth romance. 
that is 71,000 words or more. And, you know, that's a significant difference and, you know, a more focus because you don't have the, the Susan angle going right. on. And I'm wondering, like, given more space, is there more exploration of kind of like some of these issues or some of these what would be interpersonal conflicts between a sane, reasonable human being and a <laughs> Goblin King played by hmm. David Bowie, right? right? Like, I can see how yeah. I can see how that relationship would be compelling to write about because it's like very strange, you know? And it's very interesting. Yeah, right. There would be a lot to explore. It's just not. In it's this not in here. Particular one. It's not because marriage is the priority of this fan fiction. Um, now, like I said, I did see this recommended by a couple of people. Do you... And I, I guess that's probably, we're assuming, because of wanting to see the wish fulfillment, wanting to see Sarah... I mean, I'm sorry, Susan, you know, brought back into Narnia, and mm-hmm. also probably the compellingness of just wanting Labyrinth and Narnia is a great elevator pitch. It's a great <laughs> idea. It's just a great idea, right? And I think that's why it's still, you know, being brought up as something to read. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it can be explored, I think, in a lot of different ways. I wouldn't have chosen this way right now here in 2019, but it's still a good idea. The whole crossover thing. Yeah. I, the crossover is excellent. The author does an incredible job uniting the worlds and making that just kind of seamless. Like, oh, hey, yeah, the underground, that's a part of the same realm as Narnia, and it's all ruled over by Aslan, and Aslan's also the king over Jareth. And even establishing his position as, like, kind of like a fallen lord trying to redeem his place, that's all very well done. I do like that, that those details of the relationship between Jareth and Aslan, both Jareth's backstory in this context and Aslan's relationship with him, are not obvious. It's not what I would have done in a good way. Because like when I read about it, I was like, oh, like I'm learning things that are interesting, like of someone's how someone is choosing to reconcile these two universes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not gone into that much. I probably would have loved a tale about Susan's journey back to Narnia with Sarah helping her in some way mm-hmm. and then running into Jareth, just being like, oh, yeah. you. And he's, like, trying to help, and she's, like, yeah. not into it, and he's just kind of a star <laughs> character. Like, that would have been kind and of fun. And then they fall in love, because oh, we, we can let that happen. I guess. I mean. <laughs> or maybe he does still, and she's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Either way. <laughs> I mean, I'm torn between imagining, you know, all the ways that Jareth could have met Sarah later on and still have some sort of romance develop, considering that he had changed in a significant way. And she's story, an adult. Yes, <laughs> and that she's an adult, of yes. course. Well, I think the yes. other... Considering that the story implies, the story we read implies that he has changed in a significant way. But then I'm also looking on the other side of it and being like, why did both of the characters have to get married? That's so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Tell so. it to Shakespeare, Tori. I would have been happy um, if they decided to date by the end, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> this actually is very as you like it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Mm. But it doesn't end with Rosalind's thing about being gender fluid and kissing all of you that had beards and being <laughs> a boy and a girl and a boy and a girl and fucking with everything. It just ends. So there you go. That's what Jareth should have said, probably. It was mm-hmm. fanfic. Yeah. Agreed. No. <laughs> Definitely. No. Jareth. But by the way, when you're talking about like, the relationship between 
Sarah and Jareth being like you could sell it, you know, with aging up Sarah and doing these things. I feel like the author also approaches a point that is good there of if you emphasize that Jareth is emotionally very childish, that also helps to mitigate the fact that he's some sort of Im- immortal fairy being, right? Right. I mean, a little bit. No. If you have, you don't think it helps? If it's, it's like. Here's the reason I think that. Yeah. Because the fact that men even in older ages, are considered mm. to be childish is frequently an excuse for them... Behavior. No, for them dating women who are much younger than them, even underage girls. The excuse is always, oh, well, they're, they're boys, so they're not as mature, so they can date women who are younger, girls who are younger. And that's why I find it unacceptable. Automatically, when you brought that up, though, I thought about... Um, Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind, which I've read mm-hmm. recently, where they actually yeah. switch that role yeah. and they have the ancient childlike fairy being be a woman mm-hmm. who, you know, dates mortal yeah. men yeah. <laughs> or like traps them and kills them. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that being said, same difference. If if it's if all fae beings are like that, then sure, I could accept that premise but only if there's examples of like a a, you know woman fairy figure doing the same thing maybe uh i just don't think it it, i agree in a certain sense i just don't think it holds for us as like human readers in our contemporary world i agree with you on that yes of how we interpret it like i just think it can be very harmful if we permit older men to date younger women in fiction, even if we perceive them to be fairy beings. In one way or another, they're, they're still playing those roles. So. Can we agree on Jareth and Sarah romance when Sarah is, let's say, 80? I'd be way behind that. I mean, if like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. I said. <laughs> 80, sure. Yeah. Perfect. And, and he like doesn't even notice, it would be great. I mean, why would he, right? No, yeah. That's just, like, not what registers in his, like, weird David Bowie fairy consciousness. I, mean, to me, I love that. Write that right now. <laughs> <laughs> like. So I think we've probably covered the things that we would like to praise or complain about well enough in this that we don't have to go back to it at the end. Yeah, actually, in my mind, I was like, we were already doing that. So yeah, we, we I think basically we were. Yeah. Unless so there's think, anything else y'all want to add? No, I don't think so. I feel okay. pretty good. Great. I think we can close it up there. That was, uh, well, next week again is going to be our one year anniversary. Please tune in. We will probably discuss the fanfic and then uh, probably talk about our one year and how we're feeling about the podcast a little bit. If you have any thoughts or comments, please write them in even more so than usual. And we will definitely read them and probably address them. If not for next episode, then at some point in the future, uh, the fanfic is going to be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, you cannot find you can't find the text online if you search for it, but mm-hmm. not legally because it's still in public copyright. You can find it pretty easily. Yeah. But let me just say, copyright lasts way too long in the United States. It's all Disney's fault. So you know, do whatever. I I checked it out from the library. Your library probably has a copy. It is of course Hamlet fan fiction. As for this, this was episode fifty of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Something in the Eyes by Clever Lass, written in 2004. You can find a link to the fanfiction.net posting at bit.ly slash rfr 
eyes. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic, which just points you to that same site. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, we got Reddit at uh, Fanfic Retrospective, send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, got all three words in that one, or leave comments or reviews on the service that you use to listen to podcasts, which apparently helps on the internet. People find us. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm CJ. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Thanks, CJ. Yeah, thank you. Remind me, Pevensey, 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 Pevensey. Okay. Let's try it in a British accent. Pevensey, 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 Peven, Pevensey. Yeah, I think it's Pevensey. <laughs>